0: You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Sunday, December 7th, 2003. 13-year-old Daniel Morecambe was waiting for a bus just half a kilometre away from his house. He had planned on getting the 1.35pm bus and was heading to the Sunshine Plaza shopping centre to buy Christmas presents for his family and get a haircut. A bus he had caught many times before, in an area he knew like the back of his hand. The bus he intended to catch had broken down, and at ten past two Daniel was spotted, still waiting, under the overpass. A replacement bus eventually drove past Daniel, but it did not stop, as it was already behind schedule. The bus driver radioed the depot to arrange for another driver to go and pick Daniel up. By the time a second bus arrived a few minutes later, Daniel was long gone, and the bus stop was totally deserted. Daniel James Morecambe, his twin brother Bradley, and his older brother Dean, were born to parents Bruce and Denise and the family lived in the small town of Palm Woods on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. His father Bruce said one trait he always admired in his son was his generosity and his genuine care for other people. The family were very close and his father said that Daniel was definitely shy around most people but was enthusiastic with boundless amounts of energy around his family. He was well-mannered a good timekeeper and well-behaved, he loved the outdoors, animals, and playing with his two brothers. And he had dreams of being a vet when he was older. His family said they just lived a very simple and easygoing life. As Sunday, December 7th got later and darker, at around 4:15 p.m., Daniel's family, who were expecting him home hours ago. "'started to grow concerned. "'They asked his brothers, but they had been out with friends, "'and no one had seen Daniel that afternoon. "'Denise set off on a walk to the bus stop. "'On her way, she saw the broken-down bus being loaded onto a tow truck, "'but Daniel was nowhere to be seen. "'She called the bus company, "'and they confirmed that no one of Daniel's description was picked up that day. "'Just after 7.30am, the police were notified.' A day later, the first pictures of the young team began appearing in the media. As well as the police, up to 50 state emergency service volunteers and rescue helicopters were scouting the area. But nothing turned up. His brothers spoke of how upset they felt that Daniel had asked them both to go shopping with him that day. But, both having plans, they said no. The search quickly began to widen, with waterways and dams being explored too. Police divers were combing through the waters, and volunteers were searching the grassland. It really was all hands on deck to try and find Daniel Morecambe. The outpouring of help and support from the community was huge. Daniel's parents and brothers soon joined about 400 people to attend a vigil. Denise and Bruce quickly became regular faces in the media... Over the coming days, they were constantly appealing for help and making sure Daniel's face and details were being widely circulated. Two weeks later was a particularly painful day for the family. December 19th would mark Daniel's 14th birthday. Authorities decided to create a reenactment, hoping to jog any memories from any motorists on the road that day.
1: Daniel Morecambe was last seen waiting for a bus under this busy Sunshine Coast overpass on the 7th of December 2003. As the days passed, his parents' desperation grew.
0: We both want Daniel home. It's been seven days since he was last seen. It's a matter of urgency. Somebody must have seen him somewhere. It's getting desperate. We need him back. (laughs) We want Daniel back. Several witnesses came forward. Some said they had seen Daniel that day, waiting near the bus stop, bored, and drawing pictures in the mud with a stick to keep himself occupied. Others reported seeing him stood near a man who was leaning against the wall behind him. He was described as gaunt, with a tattoo and a goatee. And this was corroborated several times. Just after ten past two, Daniel was no longer stood in the bus stop. Using the time frames they all provided it was concluded that Daniel disappeared in an incredibly small, 90-second window. A life-size clay model of the man seen near Daniel that day was placed in the same spot where he had disappeared, as well as a model of Daniel. And, within just a few days, over 300 tips came in. Tips that included reports of a suspicious white car circling the area that afternoon, as March 2004 came around, over 3,000 calls had been logged by Stoppers, more than any other case in its history. Over the next few months, more and more events were held to try and raise awareness. Over 50 printing companies rallied together to produce almost 2 million leaflets about Daniel. Milk bottles with his face on it were also dispensed, and by October that year, more than 8,000 calls providing tips had been made. A $250,000 reward was announced, the biggest in Queensland's history. 2005 was soon here, as this year was a big one for Bruce and Denise. With their son still missing, they founded the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. It was initially started as a way to draw more attention to their missing son's case, but it soon became so much more. They started offering support to educators, parents and carers, and providing resources and education packs to help raise awareness about child safety. Months would soon turn into years, and despite the almost 10,000 tips that had been lodged, Daniel was still gone. Each year, his pictures would circulate the media, and the foundation would continue to keep his name alive. But despite the leads, police were still lacking in a lot of evidence. At one point, they had more than 500 persons of interest on their radar, but again, not enough to pull anyone in. Four years would soon have passed. The Morecambe family, who had been in the same house since Daniel's disappearance, obviously still hoping one day he might come home, made the tough choice to move. All of his belongings were just as he had left them that day, completely untouched his parents made the difficult decision to pack up their family home and relocate elsewhere. Bruce and Denise had been following up on every tip that came their way, no matter how far it led them. Bruce even started his own covert operation, interviewing sex offenders in the area that claimed they had information. Nothing came of any of it, and a lot was nothing more than a hoax. The more time that passed the more everyone feared that Daniel would never be found, and the case would never reach a conclusion. But Bruce and Denise weren't giving up. They soon called for an inquest into his disappearance, hoping that the lengthy list of persons of interest would be looked into once more. The inquest was granted, and called the bus driver who didn't initially stop, and the people who had seen the man in question hanging around near Daniel, as well as a number of persons of interest. Thousands of pages of investigation were delivered to the state coroner. It was now sadly believed that Daniel had been killed shortly after being abducted, and authorities confirmed that they were now likely looking for his remains. One person that was asked to come and answer questions under oath was a father of three, 41-year-old Brett Peter Cowan. Brett was known to police and had actually been on their radar since the start. He was even interviewed just two weeks after Daniel went missing and police admitted there were holes in his alibi from the beginning. As i explained to you,
2: we're currently investigating the disappearance of a young boy called Daniel Morecambe. He was abducted from the side of the Namville Connection Road on the 7th of the 12th, 2003. Um, Are you clear on what I want to talk to you about? Yes. You've previously been interviewed by detectives involved in that investigation, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. All right. Can you just cast your mind back to the 7th or the 12th and um, get that time off, and just tell me what you were doing on the 7th or 12th, which is a Sunday? Um, working in the garden in the afternoons, in the morning and the afternoons, cutting down some trees, tidying up my gardens. Um, I rang my boss's father up um, around lunchtime asking if I could borrow his um, mulcher, I mm-hmm. mulch, what I'd cut off the trees and everything. Um, not 100% sure on the time that I left home to go up there and pick it up. After one, I think, and um,
0: went up there, picked it up, more or less went straight in. Half an hour to 45. Minutes, half an hour to 45, and minutes. To 45
2: minutes. So, so you left at 1:30, you hung about three. Yeah. You left at one, you hung about 2:30. 2:30. Alright, right. did you see a young boy standing under the Kill Mountain Road right over the park? No, I didn't see anybody standing there. Right. Oh, no. Did you see any cars or did you notice anything unusual? No. And you didn't see anything? If the suggestion was that you weren't home till three, um, and let's face it, there's been a couple of. Uh, I think Tracy says it was three o'clock, but she wasn't real sure, etc., etc. There's a bit of a gap in time that
0: we're a little bit concerned, not concerned about, but a little bit interested to try and work out if we can narrow that time down a little bit. Brett was not only close to the area at the time, but he had a string of shocking convictions, including several counts of sexual abuse against young boys. But after this, their attention had turned to another convicted sex offender, named Douglas Jackway. As Brett entered the courtroom, however, Bruce and Denise recalled they took a sharp intake of breath. Denise said she turned to Bruce and said, That's him. I know that's him. Brett was asked a series of questions, and the answers became more and more shocking. Denise said that one of the most shocking of all was Brett stating there was no way he could have abducted Daniel, as he liked six to eight-year-old boys, and Daniel was far too old for him. Brett's list of offences soon came to light in the courtroom. In 1987, a seven-year-old boy called Tim in Brisbane became Brett Peter Cowan's first known victim. Tim was at his usual daycare centre, which happened to be where 18-year-old Brett would work and help out. One day, Brett tried to lure him into the bathroom, but Tim refused to go. Brett then, brazenly, grabbed Tim and forced him into one of the cubicles. Tim was subjected to a brutal and sustained sexual assault before Brett started strangling him, telling him he would kill him if he ever told anyone. It only stopped when one of the daycare workers called Tim's name out. Tim believes that if she hadn't come looking for him at that moment, he probably would have died. He said that although he survived the horrific ordeal, he still feels like Brett took his life that day. Brett was placed under arrest for the attack on Tim, but was given bail and went on the run for two years, eventually being found in New South Wales. Young Tim found the courage to testify against him in court and recalled that Brett was just sat smiling at him as if the whole thing was a game. Brett was sentenced to two years for the crime, but served less than one year before being let out. He moved to Darwin and told people he was a reformed Christian and had found God. Just a short while later, however, he viciously attacked another child. He snatched a six-year-old from a trailer park, raped him, then left him for dead in the boot of a burnt-out car. Incredibly, the child managed to get out and stumbled to a petrol station for help. His collarbone was broken, one of his lungs was punctured, and his eyes were hemorrhaging from the suffocation he had been subjected to. Brett was eventually caught and sentenced to seven years. He served four. Brett Peter Cowan underwent multiple psychiatric examinations, and one of the psychologists who had assessed him said he was a pathological liar with mild psychopathy and a severe lack of empathy. His crimes against young children were so depraved and caused such unimaginable trauma to them, it would only be a matter of time, until he struck again. As his day in court, answering questions in regards to Daniel's case drew to a close, Brett looked at Bruce and Denise in the eyes and said, I had nothing to do with Daniel's disappearance, nothing at all. After witnessing Brett's answers, and armed with a new task force, the investigation into Daniel's case took a swift turn. An extensive and complex undercover investigation got underway. One that would last four months, with the hope of being able to prove that Brett was Daniel's abductor and likely killer. Brett's code name was P7. Authorities were using something called the Mr Big technique, This technique involves creating a fictitious crime group, and, using undercover officers, the aim is to lure the suspect into the confidence of the fake criminal group. As the suspect, in their mind, moves further up the ranks, they eventually meet Mr Big, the fake kingpin of the group. But this person is actually a police interrogator, who will often offer them some sort of higher position in the group if they pass an interview. The hope is that during the interview, the suspect will bear all and confess to everything they've done. An undercover police officer claiming to be part of the fake gang befriended Brett as he was on a plane to Perth, and the operation was now in full swing. The officer said he wanted to introduce Brett to a powerful criminal gang with the promise of big money. Brett was hooked on the idea straight away. Over the next few months, Brett was gradually allowed to feel more and more involved in the group. He was dealing drugs for them, collecting fake debts, and buying and selling weapons. Finally, Brett was told, the gang thought he was ready to meet the man at the top. This man was, of course, a highly skilled interrogator, and likely had one shot at getting the answers everyone was searching for. The hotel room was rigged with cameras, and a long interview got underway. To everyone's surprise, it didn't take long for Brett to start talking. What's been happening? Yeah?
2: Yeah. Listen, I'm hearing through, uh, through Jeff, through Paul, that you're doing some good stuff. Yep. Um, I suppose I just have to you know, make make sure that you're happy doing what you're doing, that there's no, no issues there, because, uh, as you know, things are moving. One of the reasons I brought you here was, um, as you know, I said to you before, we've got to walk before we run, we've got to yep. crawl before we walk. And as this thing's progressing, this big job that we're looking at, I've been checking out, yep. which is only expected of me. Yep. And there's a couple of things that have come up that we need to talk about. Yep. All right? If I'd known, I thought it was all dealt with. Look, I was, I've been here on I'm here on other business. Yeah. Uh, I'll be I'll be straight with you. I'm here on other business, but I got some information through early this morning, which has kind of made me postpone all that stuff, so that we can sort this out. Um, from the information I've got, all right, I'm told you've done you've done the Daniel Walkham uh, murder. Yeah. I'm told that it's dead set that that you're the one who's done it. Yeah. And like I said, that doesn't bother me at all. But what concerns me is that I need to. I can sort this for you. You know, I can sort things out. I can buy alibis. I can, all, I can get rid of stuff. All that kind of things that needs to be done, I can do. Yep. But I need to know what I need to do. Yep. You know what I mean? So, look, what happened? And how can I sort it out? Yeah, OK. No. OK, I did it. All right, so, OK, so you did it. But what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I, I I need to kind of go. I need to stick you right back to the whole thing, yep. so that I so that if there's anything like, I don't know if they have got any DNA or all that kind of shit. No DNA. No you know, obviously they, 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 they haven't problem. found the fucking body. Okay. So. I Don't know how. It, I seen him stand there. I did a loop around and. Okay, hang on. What t- what time was this? I don't know. Okay. I'm on the way home, there was a broken down bus. Yep. The Sun bus. Down, and then I seen Daniel.
0: Knowing that Daniel wouldn't be getting on a bus any time soon, he parked his vehicle in a car park nearby. Brett then went and stood behind Daniel, pretending to wait for the bus as well, watching everyone around him and making sure it was relatively clear the whole time. As the second bus went past, Brett saw his chance. Daniel was then driven thirty minutes away to a secluded and desolate farm. His dad said he must have known he was in serious trouble and couldn't imagine the fear his son must have felt as he saw the roads get narrower and the area became less and less like the one he knew. Denise reiterated this and said, when he was a little boy, he used to get scared at nights and come and sleep on the floor next to our bed. Brett then parked up and Daniel was taken into a house.
2: Yeah, went to an abandoned house thing where I knew where I went back because I just put it under bushes and I went back to... OK, so, alright, so, so you're taken him to the house? Yep. Yeah. What happened in the house? Um, never got to molest him or anything like that. He panicked and I panicked and grabbed him around the throat and just thought I knew he was dead. Alright, how long did it take you to strangle him out? you know? what you were, you were looking didn't
0: seem see right. Daniel was killed within an hour of being abducted, according to Brett's admission and the opinion of experts and police. After this, Brett dragged his body down an embankment and threw his clothes into a creek, following this startling and blunt confession, the undercover officers convinced Brett to take them to where he had dumped Daniel's body under the pretense of helping him remove anything incriminating. They headed to a location 70 kilometres north of Brisbane. With police hiding in the bushes, they waited for Brett to walk further and further into the woods. This was the moment the team had been waiting for.
2: Police! Stay there, Brett. Stay there, mate. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Police. Stay where you are. Brett Cowan, Steve Blanchell Detective Senior Sergeant from the Homicide Unit in Brisbane, North. and you know Ross Hutton. Is that correct? From mm. Sunshine Coast CLB. No, I don't know him. You don't know him. Okay, Brett. We're here to. Uh, we're investigating the abduction and murder of Daniel Malcolm. Yep. Okay. You're aware that uh, you've been spoken to before in relation to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. What I have to tell you is that you don't have to speak to us today, okay? Yep. You have the right to remain silent. Yep. You don't have to say, answer any question or make any statement. Yep. Do you understand that? Yep. Just to, just to tell them um, that I'm under arrest, am I? Uh, not at this time. If you're happy to remain with us and speak with us in relation to this matter. No, you arrest me. All right, you're under arrest for the murder of Daniel Walkman. Yep, cool. I'm under arrest for Daniel's mur- Daniel Walker's murder.
0: Officers took Brett into custody, where he was charged with murder, abduction, deprivation of liberty, indecent treatment of a child under 16, and interfering with a corpse. A week later, in the area that Brett led them to, a trainer was found. This was followed by some shorts, a belt, and some destroyed underwear. Then, three human bones were discovered. Using DNA from Daniel's toothbrush, It was confirmed that these were the bones of Daniel Morecambe.
1: Good evening. After almost eight years of searching, police have confirmed they've found remains of missing teenager Daniel Morecambe. Forensic tests on three bones found in bushland near Biwa matched the 13-year-old's DNA. Reporter Amanda Abate joins us now live from the search site. And Amanda, how is the Morecambe family coping tonight? Sharon, they spent the day together with close family only as they try to come to terms with the shock of hearing those words. Scientists at a forensic lab in Adelaide confirmed at about 8 o'clock last night the bones belonged to Daniel.
0: The complete search would take three months and 17 bones in total were found. It would take just over a year for Daniel's remains to be released to his parents so they could finally bury him and this came almost nine years after he had disappeared. More than 2,000 people attended his funeral, and the community were out in force to show their love for the family. Daniel's disappearance had fast become one of the most extensively investigated crimes in Queensland's history, and everyone was saddened it had come to such an awful end. Brett Peter Cowan's identity had been hidden by a name suppression, but a court order led to this being revoked, at the request of Daniel's parents Bruce said the minute Brett was arrested it all made sense Brett had been standing out since the inquest because of his history Bruce recalled I felt he was a remarkably simple person to identify and this was a simple puzzle to solve he had a huge hole in his alibi and a disgraceful record the initial officers who interviewed him were aware of the deficiency in his alibi but it was never run out Brett's Peter Cowan pleaded not guilty to the abduction and murder of Daniel Morecambe. Over the one-month trial, 116 witnesses and more than 200 exhibits were admitted into evidence. Brett himself declined to give any evidence, still denying any wrongdoing. Over a decade after Daniel had been abducted and killed, the jury had reached a decision. On March 14th, 2014, Brett Peter Cowan, was found guilty on all counts. He was sentenced to life in prison with a non-parole period of 20 years. As most expected, he sat emotionless as the verdict was read out. This finally brought an end to the biggest police investigation in Queensland's history, and the biggest missing persons case in Australia's history at the time. They face a lifetime of grief, but for now,
1: the Morecambe family can take comfort. Justice for their son and brother has been won. His stunning confession to undercover police posing as criminals was his undoing. The elaborate sting lasted more than four months and commenced the moment Cowan set foot on a plane to Perth after giving evidence at a coronial inquest in 2011. He bragged to his newfound friends that police couldn't pin the crime on him. Little did he know his every word was being recorded. The jurors rejected Cowan's defence that his confession was false and that convicted sex offender Douglas Jackway was the one who did it. Instead, they accepted the Crown's case that he spotted Daniel on the side of the road, took him to a secluded spot in Bewa, indecently treated and murdered the 13-year-old. The guilty verdicts are the culmination of the biggest police operation in Queensland history. It involved 10,000 police interviews and, at one stage, more than 500 persons of interest. All along, Daniel's family has been the driving force behind the search for the truth. They count each day without their son and brother, the boy in a red shirt who never came
0: home. Denise said, as the verdict was read out... She remembered the promise she had made to her son that she would get justice for him and was so relieved that they had done it. She said as a family they never broke promises and the first thing she wanted to do was pay him a visit and let him know they didn't let him down. Brett appealed his sentence but this was flatly denied. Now to some breaking
1: news, and the man convicted of murdering Daniel Morecambe will not be able to appeal his conviction following a decision by the High Court in Brisbane. Brett Peter Cowan will remain behind bars for life for murdering the 13-year-old on the Sunshine Coast in 2003. He's already tried and failed to have his conviction overturned in the Queensland
0: Court of Appeal. This was his final avenue for appeal. Just the same as the public feel, Brett is loathed by his other inmates and he has since faced several brutal attacks in prison.
1: The man who murdered Daniel Morecambe is in hospital under tight security after being badly injured in a prison attack. A fellow inmate poured boiling water over Brett Cowan, burning his face, chest and legs. Daniel Morecambe's killer, Brett Cowan, ...has been stabbed during an attack inside a secure jail unit. Cowan knew he was a target. Other prisoners openly boasted because of the murder of Daniel Morecambe
0: and other sex crimes against children, he was to be bashed on sight and at every opportunity. The Morecams didn't comment about the incident. However, the last time Denise talked about Cowan, she said, I hope you have a life of loneliness and are unloved your entire life. He remains incarcerated at Walston Correctional Centre. One source inside said he is respectful to officers, but that is more because he knows we are the only thing that stands between him and the other prisoners. Hello, I'm Bruce Morecambe. And I'm Denise Morecambe, and we're the founders of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Bruce and Denise spent almost a decade throwing themselves into campaigning and searching for answers. And Denise said that when Brett was sentenced, she finally felt like she was able to take a moment, go through Daniel's belongings, and sort out everything she had been compartmentalising for so long. The case of Daniel Morecambe changed child safety in Australia, and the determination and dedication of his parents and family inspired the nation. The work of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation has been extraordinary. Bruce and Denise want the foundation to give back to the community, who had supported them from the day that Daniel went missing. The Daniel Morecambe Foundation is one of the most well-known not-for-profit child safety organisations in all of Australia. Every year, thousands of people dress up in red to reflect the colour he was last seen wearing for an annual National Day of Action for Child Safety. This is held on the last Friday in October and is known as Day for Daniel. It is Australia's largest child safety education and awareness day. Day for Daniel begins with a four kilometre walk, symbolising the walk Daniel was never able to take to get home that day. Parents, carers and educators are encouraged to start conversations with children and young people about personal safety. Schools and early learning centres conduct activities and businesses and communities come together to raise awareness. Bruce and Denise also met with Tim, Brett's first known victim, to let him know that Brett would never hurt anyone again. Daniel's twin brother Bradley honoured him at his wedding, with his older brother and best man Dean carrying photos of him, so he too could be part of the big day. After this, Bradley welcomed a baby boy. His middle name is Daniel. Daniel's older brother Dean also welcomed a little girl, and she was even born on the same day that Day for Daniel was held. The family still lay a seat for him at the Christmas table every year, with his photo by his chair, and his family make sure that his name will continue to help people and never be forgotten. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, we have left links to further resources in the description box below.